Okay, so Philippians chapter 2. What page? 6? 636. 636. I'm actually really excited about this week. (laughs) The text is really good, so. Alright, so Philippians 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be, cra- a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, so just like we've done the last couple weeks, um... Let's start out again by um, praying. Um, I'm going to read just really quick the same verse we've been reading at the beginning every week. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to them, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And so just like the last three weeks, um, let's just start out by praying that God would open our eyes um, because we can't understand the text unless God reveals to us what he's trying to say. So let's just take 30 seconds and pray. God, just thank you for um, tonight, and thank you for Jace, and thank you for um, the rain, and just thank you most of all that you came down and you um, humbled yourself, God, um, for us when we didn't deserve it. Um, Just be with us, God. Uh, We're totally dependent on you right now. I'm totally dependent on you uh, to bring your word. Um, Just open our hearts, God, to understand what you're trying to teach us, Um, and just I pray that we'd be more like you this week. And thanks for grace. um, And thank you for everything you do for us. Amen. Okay, so I'm I'm really excited about this text. It has been really uh, difficult to go through this week. Um, It's really challenging. Okay, so let's just start where Paul starts. Chapter 2, verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, 
any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. So he's asking, if, so if there's any encouragement in Christ. But this isn't a question. He knows the answer, right? And we know the answer too. Is there any encouragement in Christ? Is there any encouragement in knowing that God of the universe came down and died for our sins and that we now have a place with him, an eternal life through him, life-giving water, you know? Our, our soul is satisfied in him and nothing can take that from us? Yeah, there is encouragement in Christ. Is there any comfort in love? Of course, right? We know that's true. There is comfort in love. And is there any participation of the Spirit? It, are we just machines or is there something about us? Is there something in the world that, that doesn't make sense unless there are spiritual things, unless the Spirit is participating? And we know that's true too. Is there affection and sympathy? Um, yeah, Paul has been talking in chapter 1 about how much affection he has and how much sympathy they had for him uh, will come up later in chapter 2. So the answer to all these is uh, yes. He's not actually asking. He's just making a point. If this is true, which it is, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Okay, so this is, this is difficult because it says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. And so conceit uh, is basically anything out of pride, anything lifting yourself up. And the problem is we all do this. We all have most of our motivation, at least I do, and I think a lot of human beings have the same motivation that's all inward focus, that we do want to lift ourselves up and we do want to compete. Um, there's a really easy diagnostic for this that I think we can all identify with. So imagine you're somewhere, you're in a group of people, and you are the stupidest, or maybe you're the ugliest, the least funny, the least talented, the poorest, whatever it is about you that kind of gives yourself a boost. Um, maybe you're all of those things. When you're in a group like that, your tendency is to want to get out. You want to leave and you want to run because your pride takes a hit. And what that means is that when we're in groups, we're comparing ourselves to those people in rivalry. It makes us feel better about ourselves when we're better than someone else. And so when we're in a group where everyone's prettier than us or everyone is smarter than us or everyone is more athletic than us, then we feel down because we are comparing ourselves, because we have conceit, we are holding ourselves up. And so there's many other examples, but for me, I think everyone can identify with that. Um, that in, in a group of people where you just aren't that special, you feel something in your heart. Like it, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel good. And that's because our identity is staked in how we lift, our, when we lift ourselves up and when we think there's something great about us and it has to do with comparing ourselves to other people. And so that's why it's, it's not comfortable. And so he says after that, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. And so again, this ties back in. We don't do that. On, at least I don't do this often. That most of our motivation, I think, is coming from this selfish per perspective that I want to do this because it benefits me. And if we actually did this, 
if we saw, thought about other people as more significant than ourselves, then we would act a lot differently, right? That when we're driving down the road and someone's going slow, we don't start thinking, this, what is this guy doing? I have to be somewhere. We would think, oh, this guy, um, he's trying to be careful and, you know, I have to be somewhere, but he's more significant than me, so I'm not going to get upset. Or there's a million other examples. Um, with your parent, at least for me, with my parents, when they ask me to do something, no matter what it is, for some reason, because they're my parents, in my heart, it just, I just feel like a, I want to rebel. Like, I'm 22, I'm getting married, and I still have to fight that. My parents will say, Andrew, will you do this? And I'll just feel like I really, really want to say no and just, just rebel. I don't, like, it comes out of nowhere. And, and that's because I'm not looking to their interests, I'm looking to my interests. My first thought isn't, will that help them out? It's, well, this is, in, this is a slight inconvenience for me. And so this week, thinking about this, doing nothing out of conceit or rivalry and trying to consider others as more significant than um, myself has been really, really difficult. One of the questions I ask myself every week on this, I have this note card and I ask myself eight, eight questions, yeah, eight questions, every time I teach. And one of them is, um, let's see, what number is it? Number five says, have I applied this message to my own life? In parentheses, it says, teach with integrity. And so I'm just going to tell you right now that this isn't me, that I don't do this, that I've tried this week to be more like this, and it's really difficult, that I realize that 99% of my decisions, I don't think about anyone else but myself. And... This week when I was preparing uh, for this message, this verse kept popping into my mind. And I realized that a lot of people do this a lot better than me because things that people do that I don't do started making sense. Like at dinner, there was a piece of bread left, one piece of bread, and I was like, oh, no one else wants it, I'll just take it, you know, because they hadn't taken it yet. And, um, and then my mom says, oh, don't worry, there's more bread in the kitchen, so if anyone else wants more bread. And then everyone else gave a sigh, like, oh, great. They had all been waiting, like, oh, I don't want to take that last piece of bread in case someone else wants it. And that thought didn't even cross my mind. Like, I just took it, and I realized, oh, this is something that everyone else does that I don't do. Because I was just thinking about myself. And there's tons of things like that this week that have happened um, that have really humbled me. I'm really trying to do this better, but it's difficult. It's really difficult, at least for me, and it's impossible without the Spirit. Uh, another thing happened this week. I was playing basketball. I was talking to Jace about this before. I was playing basketball at the rec, and there was this kid, and he was playing pretty rough. Um, and for me, it's easier to not do anything from rivalry or conceit when people are nice. You know, if someone's nice to you and they're better than you, that's not too bad. But when someone's a jerk and they're better than you, 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 you want to show them up, right? If there's someone that's really pretty and she's also a jerk, you want to take her down a notch. Or for me, it was this kid playing basketball who's being a real big jerk, you know? I, I had memorized these verses this week and I, and I flipped and I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show this guy who's boss. And I was like waving off my teammates like, oh no, I'm going to take this guy one-on-one just to, just to show him, you know? And that's totally what this text is saying not to do. And so, man, it's just, yeah, it's just really cutting into my heart right now. I'm preaching almost to myself. 
um, more than anything else right now um, because it's really been a difficult week for me. I'm trying to deal with this text and actually put it into practice. But yeah, for me, like I said, it's easy to, it's easier to do nothing out of rivalry and conceit and to put others above yourself when people are nice. But when they're not, man, my mind goes the opposite direction just in a, in a moment. And so how do we get to be like this? And why would we want to be like this? Um, luckily, not luckily, I'm sure there's a purpose and not just random. The Bible, whenever it gives us a, a uh, principle to live by, it gives us a basis for that. It gives us um, the theology behind it, the reasoning behind it. And this is what Paul says. Let, let each of you look not only to his own interests, verse 4, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so, it's not just telling us to do this with no, nothing behind it. It's telling us to do this because this is how Christ was. That we want to emulate Christ. And um, Christ shames me. Christ makes me look like a preschooler that, that can't fathom what anyone else is thinking. Um, that, that is so, like a baby is so selfish, right? We, we know that we're selfish um, from the womb, right? How many of you had a kid that, you know, came out and the first two weeks it was like, I know you had a really tough experience, you know, and, and so just take care of yourselves. I don't need anything. I'll be fine. You know, my diaper's a little wet, but I'll, I'll, I'll take a hit for you right now. That doesn't happen. We come out needy and we just, it's all about us for so long. And um, we really, even in coming into the teenage years, we're still just starting to grasp that it's not all about us. At least for me, maybe 20, in the 20s, um, I'm a slow learner, I guess. Um, but anyways, so we're selfish, but Christ wasn't like that. Um, and he puts me and I th all humans to shame in how he handled himself, how he considered others more significant than himself. It says that he being in the very form God, being in very nature God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And so this, this first part is incomprehensible because I, I tried to think of an illustration like me or anyone else, uh, the king of England saying that he would turn himself into a cockroach and, and um, to save other cockroaches. Like that is still so much smaller and, and insignificant compared to God of the universe. Remember when we talked about he created all these things. He created stars that are bigger than we can even comprehend. The God of the universe becoming a man, it doesn't make any sense. Like, I can't give an illustration. It's so crazy. And then the things he did in this life. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so we're going to look at some, some places. Go to Luke uh, chapter 22 for a second. And this, is, this blows my mind. Um, and it just shows me how humble and 
how Jesus was and how he thought of others before himself. Luke 22, chapter, or verse 63. Got it? It says this. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody there were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy who it is that struck you. And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. So here's the deal. Jesus is God in the flesh. He came down. He took on the form of a human being, which is already so, so demeaning to God. Um, And not only that, uh, people are beating him, which to me is incomprehensible because remember how we talked about he's holding everyone together by the word of his mouth? When they went to slap his face, their hand could have just disappeared if he let it stop existing. A lightning bolt could have struck them in a moment. A 10,000 angels could have come down and said, you're not touching this man. But he didn't. He let them beat him. Let them. He had all the power in the world to stop it. And not only that, not only did he let himself get beat, they were mocking him. The God of the universe. And it's so ironic here and, and just sad that what they're saying. He's blindfolded and they, they're asking him, prophesy who it is that struck you. They're saying, if you're a prophet, you know who struck you. And the thing is, he knew. He knew exactly who struck him. And so let's say that guy's name is like Jay or something. He could have said, when that guy started mocking him, prophesy who it is that struck you. He could have said, Jay, I knit you together in your mother's womb. Remember that time when you were lost? In the forest, and you were scared, I was the one comforting you. I've been the one protecting you up until now. I know that you don't like macaroni and cheese, and I know that you get angry when someone baby talks to you. He could have told them the most intimate details about this person's life. He could have said, your mom would be so disappointed. Remember that time she scolded you when you mocked another kid? Think about what you would feel now. He could have tore this person up in a moment with his words, but he didn't. He just, he just took it. And so to me, this is, that, this is that it's easy to be humble when they're nice, but when they're a jerk, it's so much harder. The God of the universe not, not calling this guy out, it's crazy. And for us, it's an example, at least for me, that there's no reason I should be malicious in my words, that out of rivalry or conceit, I should never turn on someone in anger. Because if Jesus humbled himself and he was God, me as a human being that's broken, I have no right. I have no right to, to talk to someone in, in the ways that I do and to, and to just think of myself more highly than I ought. To me, it's, it's crazy. And so let's look at one more example. Mark chapter 15. Again, Jesus is being mocked here. Mark 15, verse 16. He says this, And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak 
and put his own clothes on him and they led him out to crucify him. Okay, so if the other one was bad, this one is crazy. So they put a purple robe on him, which is like kingly colors. They're mocking him, saying, oh, if you're really a king, um, later on they say, if you're really a king, bring yourself down. If you're really God, bring yourself down off the cross. And so they put a crown of thorns on him. Ironically, they're saying, you're not a king. They're saying, you don't have any authority. And, and they're mocking him by saying, hail, king of the Jews. They don't mean it. Here's where, here's where it gets crazy. They start spitting on him. So get this, the lips that Jesus had formed in the womb, he let those lips spit on him. He let it happen. He took it. And later on when they challenge him, if you're really God, come down off the cross, save yourself. He doesn't talk back in anger. He says, forgive them for they know not what they do. And so for me, Man, this is just heart-wrenching because I don't act like this, you know? That at best, my humility is situation-driven. That it's when it's easy to be humble. At best, and it's probably not even then. But Christ's example is that he, he was humble when he had no reason to be. He's God. He's God in the flesh and, he, and he's... He's being so humble here for us when we don't deserve it. He took all that shame for us on the cross. And so, let's keep going. Um, Being found in human form, verse 8 in Philippians, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so not only did he come down as a man, not only was he mocked and mistreated, he died on a cross, which was the most shameful way to die. The most painful way to die. If you don't know what dying on a cross is exactly, they, they put nails through your uh, hands and your feet. But what actually kills you is to breathe, um, you have to push yourself up with your legs um, to be able to take a full breath. And so as you get exhausted because you're there for hours, you can no longer push yourself up and you end up suffocating to death. Either your lungs fill with blood or you just can't, you don't have the energy to take a breath anymore. And you can imagine pushing on the feet that have a nail spiked through them. That would be really painful, but every time you want to take a breath, you have to push yourself up. And so the God of the universe died this way for us. There's nothing, there's no more humble picture than this. And our souls identify with this. Like, there's so many stories out there where the, the pauper and the prince, you know that, you know that story? Uh, it's been redone hundreds of times in movies where there's someone of a high status and they put on clothes to look like a peasant and they go through the streets and it moves us because it's identifying with something deeper than just an intellectual idea. It's, it's hitting our souls. What we're longing for is this, the gospel, that God in the flesh, king of everything, came down. And he died for us when we didn't deserve it. And so, how does, this, how does this apply to us? Well, verse 5 says, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then, 
Verse 9 through 11 goes along with that. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So how do we get this? How do we become humble like this? Well, one, we're totally dependent on God. Verse 5, this mind is only accessible through Christ. And how do we get there? Like I said earlier, we, we, when we hear something and it's just telling us, just do this, don't ask questions, uh, it doesn't really work. And so I think 9 through 11 is telling us the reason we want to do this is because, not because we want to make ourselves great, but because we want to be like the one who is great. Not because we want to glorify ourselves, but because we want to be like the one who's glorious. And so, for this to happen, we have to see God as awesome. We have to see Christ's sacrifice as something to be emulated. We naturally emulate those we we have a high regard for. And so, if Christ is that, then our response to this is humility, is we want to be more like him. But if what Christ did doesn't move us, if it isn't our identity, if it doesn't bring us to tears, it's not going to change anything. That this, this example Jesus set doesn't mean that much unless you see how great he is and what he did for us as great. So, to conclude, is Christ's death on the cross, the humility he showed, is that moving to you? Is it eternally weighty? Is it the most significant thing you've ever heard in your life that God died for you? Because if it isn't, we probably won't. We probably won't emulate Christ. Because it's just not that great. And if it is, if Christ is is your all, if you've trusted in Him to be the Lord of your life and He means more to you than anything else, Psalm 73 says, The Lord is my portion. There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. And when we feel that way about God, our response is to want to be more like Him. So do you want it? Do you want to emulate Christ? And have you come to that point where God is your all and where what Christ did on the cross means more than anything else? Because what He did is unthinkable. God in the flesh dying for us. And so where can we emulate this in our lives? Where have we been failing to emulate Christ? Where have we been counting others as less significant than ourselves? And let's just pray. Let's, let's take a few minutes to pray really quick about how we can emulate Christ in humility. To confess where, we've, where we haven't been doing this And to ask Him to change our hearts and to tell Him we want to be more like You. And just to thank Him for what He did. For the great price He paid. So let's just take a minute or two minutes.